Hi, I'm Michael Hutchins from In Excess. Thank you very much for coming backstage with Access All Areas, okay? Hope you have a good time. Welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Hello, welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode 165, the podcast that aims to dive deep in all things great about our favourite band, doing it with a bunch of alumni, compadres, people around the world, patrons, listeners, everybody, but most importantly, B. Hello, how are you, sweetheart? We haven't seen each other for a couple of weeks. You look fit and firing and fresh. Oh, thank you, Hayden. Yes, um, I'll take all of that. I don't actually yeah. feel it, but thank you. This is this is a different way that we're recording today because my computer or, or home internet has gone. So this is all being done on the mobile. So uh, yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed it all works for us. Listen, B, people don't care about the labour pains. All they want is the baby. Okay, so <laughs> we shall deliver this baby uh, out and central to everyone's focus. But uh, we did come off, I guess, from our last recording episode a couple of weeks ago. We finished with our uh, second instalment of Mark Pope. Big thank you, Popey, if I can call you that. Maybe we've graduated to be able to nickname like all Aussies do. Uh, was great having you on and uh, we're already talking about a third instalment. So uh, he was good fun, wasn't he, B? Oh, yeah, really good. I was talking to the other day and I told him how well his, um, his, his, his actual episodes had been received and um, he said, can't wait to come back on. So, yeah, we are Really looking forward to having you back on. Fantastic. Well, look, there's been so much going on, you know, there sort of in excess worlds in the last couple of weeks. Well, you know, as a gentleman, I'll always uh, bow to you first and say what's been happening in your in excess fortnight because I've got chock full stuff to report in, and uh, I know you've been uh, active in your accrual of information. Anything to share? Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually noted in excess gone on steroids this week or the, over the last two weeks. But yeah, we'll talk more about that later. Um, well, um, the first part of my so-called little holiday of um, doing episodes was down to Whale Beach, uh, where in excess um, had their first gig. Which was uh-huh. uh, yeah, which was a stunning day. I did a little video, so if you're on Facebook or Instagram, you can actually go and view that. I went down for a party and, yeah, absolutely stunning beach. So go look at that. I've also been um, noticed that um, Michael's bike is for auction. Of today is the last day. So hopefully um, somebody's bid on that. So that is already – are you going to talk about that? No, no, no. That's a revenue right. for, for Ollie, isn't it? Yeah, and that's yeah. for Ollie. The money's going to Ollie. So I found out that it was actually Rhett that's allowed that to happen and it was Susie which is Kel's wife's um, who is Michael and Rhett's dad uh, had has the bike and they've um, given that to auction. Um, I was talking to Bruce about it and I said, well, is there any photos of Michael sitting on the bike? Because I've never seen that. I think it's a rally bike or something. Anyway, it's, a push, bike. Picture, it's a push bike here, isn't it? Not a motorbike. That's not a bike, right? No, yeah. no, no. Um, yeah. It's a push bike and we found a picture of Elena sitting on it or a bike that's very similar. Maybe they had an his and her bike, maybe. But 
we're thinking, whoa, I wonder if that's the bike that Michael was on when mm. he got pink hit. Well, all I know is that uh, there are a lot of people who would love to have been on that bike with him at the same time. Is that right, Pete? Oh, <laughs> yeah, or stop, yeah, stop that happening. That would yeah. have been amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that's lovely. I hope gone to a good home. I want to give a big shout out to John Jamin. I've had a lovely conversation with him um, this morning. He actually met in excess when he was a kid, when he was 19. He went running after some girls and ended up speaking to in excess and getting their autographs. Now, and he's a new patron, my, is that right, John? He's a new patron of ours, yeah. And he noticed Michael sitting in the corner on his own and he thought, oh, I'll just get his signature. And Michael called him over and they sat and had a chat for 15 minutes. And he said he was so nice and he was asking me, you know, if I'd been to Australia. And he says, you know what, I went to Australia because of Michael. And he said he was really engaging and he really was interested in him. And he was just saying how humble and what lovely guys they were, rock stars out there that just aren't like that. And he yeah. says, yes, he's met a few and in excess are very special and that's why we do this podcast. We've got a couple of guests coming up today that echo those sentiments, I think, don't they? Yes. Oh, yes, I guess today. Yeah. Yes. Right. yes, very special guest. Now, are you, are you leading up to anything else, any, any bombshells, anything else to report in in your world? Well, I'm sure there is. I've been talking to my friend Lee Francis, a.k.a. Um, Keith Lemon, and he's going to be doing an advert for us, a little plug for us on Virgin uh, UK Radio about the podcast. So if you've been listening ah. to that and you found us today, hello to all the UK listeners. Well, fantastic. I did Google uh, Keith's details and he's uh, he, he, Lee Francis is his, his offstage name, but yes. Keith Lemon is his stage name. But he's got a little bit of an IMD history. He's been in the movies. He was in his own movie. He was in the Elton John biopic pick. Um, and he's out here doing a stand-up thing. Is that right? In the Gamby soon. That's right. We'll put some um, details onto um, Facebook and Instagram, yep. onto the socials later. But, yeah, he's headlining. He's another one that's actually quite humble, really, yep. off stage. And he was saying, oh, you might want to come and see me there. I went, Lee, you're headlining. And he, <laughs> So, yeah, that would be cool. I've actually put um, another video of him onto our socials because he loves wearing Michael's clothes. He's actually got some of Michael's clothes and it's a it's a funny um, little segment from um, Virgin Radio. So um, enjoy that one. Well, uh, B, as you probably know, uh, in the last maybe eight, ten weeks, I've been on a bit of a guest surge. I, I think I've been out there inviting different people to come on our show, uh, trying to keep up with your achievements in getting guests on, but just trying to pull my weight. Um, obviously, we had Paulie Stewart on from Painters and Dockers. We had Mark Pope on, Michael Browning, some of these particular people. Newey from the Herald Sun. Hello, Newey. He says hello as well. He, oh. I spoke to him the other day. He was at the Paul McCartney concert last Saturday night here in Melbourne, and Paul played for three hours and 40 minutes. What a legend for 81 years of age. legend. Wow, that's amazing. Anyway, there's been one guest that I've teased our audience about and that I've been trying to uh, secure and get. Out of just sheer jinxdom, if that's such an expression, but not wanting to jinx it, I've, I've tried not to reveal who it is. Now, I'm glad I didn't reveal it all because we were about to interview him last weekend, you and I, and they yes. rescheduled to this weekend. But I think we're safe in announcing it now. And I can say to all the listeners out there, we have secured the one and only Niall Rogers to come on to NXS Access All Areas for an interview with B and I. 
and potentially Tim Farris. I was going to be including Tim last weekend and then Niall rescheduled and then Tim had to reschedule. But uh, we can at least guarantee Niall. We can hopefully have an NXS member on as well. It's 40 years since original sin in four weeks' time. Niall and his management very kind to a grant NXS access all areas to do a live backstage interview at Niall's concert where I'm going to uh, get B to fly down with me, okay? And uh, we're going to do that sort of particular recording. I don't know how we're going to do B. If we're doing <laughs> half of it on Zoom, <laughs> if we're doing half of it on Zoom and half of it through me live, I don't know. But we can at least tell people it looks like occurring and uh, we're very, very happy to uh, add that to our arsenal. All I can say is get that in excess jet plane ready. Yes. <laughs> we'll have to borrow the X Factor to uh, airplane and get your hand up. But, um, um, no, that's yeah. pretty exciting, isn't it? Two legends. Oh, my God. I don't know yeah. how I'm going to c- control myself. That's, that was, right. that's going to be awesome. Wow. I can't wait yeah. to do that interview. I was a bit frustrated because on the Sunday, I saw Noel post an Instagram of him with Danny Minogue last weekend at the concert here in Melbourne. Uh, that should have been us last weekend, but hopefully that's us this weekend uh, with a, with a pretty Instagram post. But Danny. Don't think so. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Better not be. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, so very excited about that. And uh, I've taken the approach, B, that uh, aim high and all they can do when you ask is say no. But getting onto Nile was, you know, there's 20 other people I've asked and Nile was probably in the top three of people I wanted to get on. But you know what? If you don't ask, you don't know, B. So uh, we were very, very pleased to hear back as a positive and hopefully, just hopefully that'll all come to uh, fruition this weekend. If it doesn't for any reason, it won't be for our fault. <laughs> uh, it won't be really our fault. Uh, we've got it in email writing that it's on, it's on. So we're going to back that in. I like that idea. Uh, hopefully put it out there. Thank you um, yeah. for, for allowing us this time. Um, if you're listening, Niall Rogers. Yes. Uh, and he's obviously been touring around Australia at the moment, obviously in his own gigs and also doing a couple of gigs with uh, Shaka Khan uh, in terms of the jazz festival the other day. I know he's got a UK tour coming up and he's just come off a US tour with Duran Duran. So I guess if you are anywhere around the world, Niall is playing live and playing lots of stuff that's through Chic, uh, stuff through Sister Sledge that he wrote, stuff that he wrote Bowie and- Duran Duran. Duran Duran he worked with and stuff within Excess and you know Diana Ross and all of these particular tracks oh. and things as well. Even stuff he produced for Madonna like Like a Virgin as well. So it's a really multifaceted concert with lots of uh, songs and, and set lists there. So do yourself a favour. You might know of the original sin And you might know how to play with fire But did you know of the murder committed In the name of love, yeah, yeah You thought what it meant Having said earlier, B, you mentioned our latest patron, John, is that John? Yes. John? Uh, might be time to welcome him and the patrons aboard. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary members. Tim Ferris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkins, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones and Paul Jolie. Our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, 
Lisa, Manda H, Manda V, David, Tracy, Paul, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Jim. Happy birthday, Jim, for the 25th. Jackie, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Bard, Laurel, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa, happy birthday, Lisa Urban, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Tracy, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Fern, Lachlan, happy birthday, Lachlan for the 25th, Mandy, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diane, Paul P, Paul B, Alicia, John, Anne and Kathy. And our special mentions are to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Springs, Glenn Davis and Paul Boozy. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. All right, Betty, what's the time for? Time for the news. Hi, this is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, Bea, well, uh, we are jam-packed with tons and tons of news. Uh, as uh, You'd have to be sleepy under a rock to not realise that In Excess reunited for a meeting <laughs> uh, and a catch-up. Uh, Gary's, uh, I guess, only, I think, second trip back to Australia in 11 years uh, or 12 years, uh, returned. And we all know when Gary Beers comes to Australia, something must be going on. So you and I were both sort of uh, getting enough information behind the scenes with our contacts to realise there's some sort of band powwow happening. We didn't know what it was about or just the book, uh, but a bunch of things. Um, probably most excitingly, be there was an award given out to all the band for four billion streams of their music, which uh, when you consider, you know, these aren't album sales, these are streams, uh, which obviously have only been around the last 10, 12 years, is a pretty uh, merited award, isn't it? Yes, big one. It's for their original music. I yeah? think so. I think that's a separate oh, okay. like situation. Kirk and Gary were interviewed. I don't know if that was Zooming together. There was, there was a release I saw earlier today, but uh, Kirk did sort of say it's a bit like the world of all listened to half an in excess song. <laughs> so yeah. there's about 8 billion people in the world, and uh, it means that half the world have listened to a song. So um, if you think of it sort of that way, it's pretty, pretty uh, uh, massive in their reach and their scope. I know also, too, there's been lots of articles, everything from Billboard through to uh, NME, through to uh, Tim Peacock, who's a great NXS fan and does a lot of uh, great publications. Uh, Lars Brandall as well. Yeah. I mean, you have just Google the NXS search engine reunite and you'll just see tons of articles in your regions, but uh, definitely sort of highlighted uh, the achievement. The other thing, obviously, why they've got uh, back is another, the other announcement is uh, All Juiced Up 2, a follow-up to the 1994 remix album, is coming out. Essentially, this is a sort of a limited edition of three separate releases. Uh, I think all up there's there's going to be nine limited edition uh, vinyl coloured type of 12-inch singles come out uh, or, sorry, tracks with uh, three songs on each. First drop, I think, is happening in October in the next week or two. And then there's another set of three coming out on February the 24th. Then another set of three coming out on May, you know, 2024. So, so I guess we've got, you know, three drops, one in October, one in February next year, one in May. All up, there'll be sort of nine limited edition sort of coloured vinyl 12 inches and obviously there's there's songs that pertain to different eras I know there's a remix of Not Enough Time and there's some different tracks on there but this is a bit of a follow up to as I said the old Juice 
part companion piece to their first greatest hits album in 94. I know the collectible guys, Pedro and uh, Mr. Gaunt, are having conniptions as we speak with more material coming up with, which will be exciting, B. Yeah, and I need you to get hold of management for me so we can get some samples so everyone can have a little uh, tease on these songs as well, Aiden. Now, I think from a bundle point of view, I just uh, I know on the website it says down here, All Two Stuff Part 2, Volumes 1, 2, and 3 bundle, $89.98. Or four interest payments of $23 each. Uh, you can pre-order. I think it ships out on November the 10th. I do uh, believe and understand that uh, the Collection 9 limited edition 12-inch vinyls will feature remixes of songs such as Needy Tonight, Listen Like Thieves, New Sensation, What You Need, Suicide Blonde, Bitter Tears, and many more throughout the band's career. I think they've been remastered at Abbey Road by Giles Martin, who's doing a lot for the band. I think, you know, there's a bit of a homage to, to Chris Murphy, who was always a bit of a proponent of the 12-inch mix. And I guess the band, all the way back to the dance and decadence days of the remix albums of Shabu and The Swing, dance has always been a big part of the band's sort of pedigree. We do know back in the day, they worked with people like Youth and David Morales and uh, Paul Oakenfield and Basement Jackson, lots of different people over time. And hopefully these become, uh, for not only hardcore fans, but just general uh, people who love the tracks, the you know, addition to your collection. Uh, I can break down the very first one that's coming out, but on the very first edition, you've got I'm Only Looking, Bitter Tears, Need You Tonight and Listen Like Thieves. So that's actually four tracks on the release. The second set of releases will be Not Enough Time, Original Sin, Underneath the Colours and Freedom Deep. Interesting Ooh, little batch there. Excellent. And then the third little batch coming out will be Please You Got That, the E-Smooth Club Mix, <laughs> uh, New Sensation, 12-inch mix, which we love, Taste It, uh, and To Look At You, Extended Mix, which is which is great. Now, for those looking to hoard them, there is a limit of four per customer, okay? So that's probably four lots of three per order. So, again, exciting news for those collecting and those looking to add to, to their collection, Boo. And they look good too, don't they? They look great. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's a bit like the old Apple thing where they do the uh, the iMacs and things and, you know, the uh, or the Apple Mac type computers and the colour things back in the early 2000s. They look really, really, really cool. Yes. And, um in terms of the book updates, I think the band also was the first time that sort of got together as, as the five of them were able to go through the book a little bit and see some of the anecdotes. And uh, it was great hearing from people like Kirk and the band who were like, wow, we were sort of living and playing it. But hearing these stories of just how important it was for the audience, I think really resonated with each band member. So it was mm. good hearing some sort of press about that uh, when they caught up last week. I think that Kirk had read Daniela's story, the way oh. he was talking about um, driving six hours to be able to see the band and right. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did sound it did sound like he listened to that. And then what John was saying about listening to um, Bruce Springsteen in the uh, supermarket. Did yes. you hear that bit? Yes, yeah. I did. I did. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, I, I know there was a little bit of discussion, a bit about oh, will they reform and this, this, and this. And I initially saw like it was a mixed quote. Kirk was saying one thing, and then I thought it was Kirk saying another, but it was actually Andrew. Uh, Andrew does go and sort of hint. 
going, well, you know, if we do choose to record or tour again, we decide. If we don't, we decide. I think, you know, Kirk's quite sort of happy in retirement, so to speak. I think overall, though, what they did say, never say never. So I don't think there's any really official coming out in that regard. You know, but uh, again, it was just great seeing them all together again. I think particularly for Gary, and I, I sort of sense this when we interviewed Gary. You know, he he missed Melbourne. Uh, sorry, he missed Australia, he missed Sydney. Uh, he missed being close. I know he was out of all the guys we've interviewed. He was very keen to know when the podcast was coming out, and we were even sharing stuff from Australia that he hadn't heard of yet that was going on with the band. And I sense he's had a bit of a longing just to reconnect, and and. He accepted, I think, the award on behalf of the band the other day, or got up and spoke, and at one of them, and he was, uh, yeah, he, he was quite um, emotional without getting emotional too much, but he was quite heartfelt in his acceptance, you know. Yes, yes, a lot of his posts have been quite emotional, haven't they? He, he actually yeah. even visited his um, old home. Yes, he'd been knocked down sadly. And Sydney Harbour uh, and everything there was like and it was, Sydney Harbour. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, and yeah. his own home and house and all the renovations are gone. It was it was it was really yeah. quite touching. Yes, it was. We never yeah. put that one on our uh, on our podcast um, bus tour, did we? I felt like replying saying, "Hey, Gary, we've already done this. Going to the Ferris's place, stalking him <laughs> a year and a half ago." So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. Hey, check out the NXS Tribute Band page on the NXS Access All Areas website and get all of the full tour dates. And now it's time for Gig Watch with Hayden and B. Cheers. Moving along, just a couple of other little bits of news, Bertie. Uh, in excessive, we're playing the Lucky 13 Garage on November the 11th. Uh, that's near where I live. I might get down and see the boys again. Uh, it is a great little venue for live music. Uh, it's a little bit of a plug for them. Also, too, with the petition, B, I was just going to ask you this. It's sort of a, both news and whatever, but well done to, to D, uh, Dina, Shannon and Jim, you know, with the with the petition. Um uh, I do know there is on the 16th of November last year, I did find a little uh, promotional excerpt on the River 97.7. I think it's an overseas radio station, et cetera, there where they uh, were able to get a little bit of a plug for the petition. Do we have a facility on our podcast to have people sign the petition within what we're doing and then that adds to votes at all? Do we have a platform within a platform? If you go onto our website, there's actually a, a link that will go straight to there and right. um, into right. the petition, yes. Maybe what we can try and do is just maybe remind people, you know, who are new to us, you know, get onto that, get your signatures in. Maybe we can keep yes. an eye on that because we are probably capturing – you know, we probably are the week to week forum where people are, you know, hearing about NXS information. So, uh, again, if you haven't signed yet, go on to the link. Uh, that link is available on our website, as B just well, said. Well, it is, but I used to, and I've got out the habit, I used to always put it at the end of our dis- description. So, I will put it on the end of the description yep. for this week. Okay, cool. Uh, let's get those votes going in. And I think, as we just said the other week, they're number two behind uh, one other band who names escapes me at the moment in terms of fan response about getting inducted. I don't know if it was the Dave Matthews band or someone else. I can't quite remember who I mentioned. I they think we're getting noticed, or not we, but they are yeah. getting noticed. So um, I think we, we're not far off. We're yeah. not far off getting in there. All right. Uh, another couple of bits of news. Uh, Gary, uh, Gary, Gary Buswell in Australia did go on to the Rush Hour for about 20 minutes last Friday. Uh, that's the Rush Hour is a Triple M show on Sydney radio. Uh, gave a good 15, 20 minute sort of uh, interview there. And he was quite great when he's uh, sharing some information about him and his bass guitar business it seems to be growing and just in excess and the brotherhood. Also, 2B, uh, I did come across an article today. Actually, sorry, the heading was Marvin Gaye to in excess. Scientists say these bands are great for one sex drive. It's true. 
<laughs> and B, I have downloaded, pardon the pun, okay, the the top 10 list here, okay, of the, the top 10 songs that were deemed to be great for one sex drive. Can I share oh, them with you? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that would need that list. <laughs> well, number 10 I've never heard of. It's called Intro and it's banned by a band called The XX, so it doesn't mean much to me. Number nine is Magic by Coldplay. I'd never really associate Coldplay with that. Number eight is Need You Tonight by NXS. There you Yay. go. Number seven is Lollipop by Little Wayne. I won't go for this. <laughs> number six is Love Me Like You Do, Ali Goldings. Yeah. Number five. I get that one. Okay. Number five is 60 Back by Justin Timberlake. Okay. Number four is Drunk in Love, Beyonce. Oh, right. Is that the follow-up to Crazy in Love, is it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Number three is Skin by Rihanna. You don't know what that means. Number two, I thought this would be number one, uh, was Love to Love You Baby, uh, Donna Summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and number one was Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Which uh, for all the ladies out there, okay, there you go. Is Barry White in there? Oh, my God. I don't want him there. That's a good point. That's a good point. Also, a little bit of news. We want to also highlight and say a, a big uh, happy birthday to these particular people. We're going to say, firstly, happy, happy birthday to NXS's Kick, The Gift, Listen Like Thieves, Underneath the Colours, Kick and NXS. I think they're all released around October. And then yes. we keep getting pop-up birthdays for those. So uh, a big happy birthday, all those in excess albums. But more importantly, happy birthday to these people. John Stevens turned 62 in early October, uh, former lead singer of In Excess, Noiseworks, uh, Dead Daisy, solo artist, uh, touring in the moment uh, around uh, Australia. All right, bit of a list here. Happy birthday to Sammy Hager, 76. Still looks great. Well, second singer in Van Halen. Flea from the Chili Peppers turned 61. Michael McKeon from uh, Spinal Tap and Better Call Saul and Acting, 76. Martin Kemp from, uh, do you know who he's from? Uh, oh, Martin. I, me and Martin have a little chat now. Martin Kemp from. Uh, Hello, Martin. Brother. <laughs> he's, the, he's the better looking one. Gary's uh, younger brother, is it right? Yeah, he's actually got his own line of clothing now in right. the UK. Mm. But he's blushing at the moment, every lady. Okay, number 61. Okay, Midgey, Midgewa. Okay, one of my faves. Oh, okay, we're going to mention him today. Yep, yep, absolutely. We've actually got uh, Nick Oliveri from Queen of the Stone Age, 52. Got uh, Ben Gillies from Silverchair, 44. Bob Geldof, hello, Bob. Sir Bob, 72. Daryl Hall, 76. Thomas Dolby, the king of keyboards and oh, um, yeah. uh, synth sound, which is topical today, 64. Sam Brown, B, she had a great voice, didn't she? The UK girl, yeah. Sam Brown, 59. Uh, Kevin Godley from Godley and Cream, fantastic band. They were in 10 CC, 78. PJ Harvey, okay, 54. Wow. The late Tom Petty would have been 73. Pat Denizio from the Smithereens would have been 67. And Farley, the beautiful John Lennon, would have been 83 here in October. Oh, my goodness. Happy, what a, Imagine what a, the world with John. What an active bunch of January parents these people had, huh? Back and can the- we add Genevieve, our t- Hello, team Genevieve. member? Genevieve. Happy birthday, sweetheart. Thank you for all your contributions. Well received and thank you. Happy birthday. But B, that's only half the news. I'll save the rest for next week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. And now it's time for Topic of the Week.
All right, Pete. Well, uh, our topic of the week this week is a little bit of an interesting one. Uh, you happened to stumble across a, a certain gentleman who uh, played with the In Excess guys back at Davison High School and had a band together with various parts of the group. Now, this would be quite inner sanctum knowledge because we often think of Dr. Dolphin and some of these other cover things that In Excess did. But there was a band called The Keep that uh, I guess I think uh, Gary, Michael, Andrew, I think were involved with this particular entity. We're going to have the gentleman who was part of Davison High School on our podcast today, along with his current band member and vocalist, to talk a lot about the experiences of growing up at high school with the band, but more importantly about what In Excess music has meant to them and just the effect of everything from the synth era through the guitars and through the longevity of, of quality music. So it's a really interesting deep dive. Uh, we will cover quite a sort of a, a spectrum of music from the 80s and 90s and particularly the the, the synth uh, aspect of things. But we did for the sake of uh, Clarity B uh, and, and our uh, audience uh, did this uh, recording yesterday. We had a lot of fun with it, didn't we? Yes, yes. So it's my friend Scotty, who's in yep. the band um, Vox Neon, and Sean, who is the drummer. Sean's got some stories to tell, but a great interview. You know, with the Nexus Access Solaris, we're trying to put ourselves back in a time and a place where we weren't there. And it's just really great hearing the insights from the band. And uh, again, you know, we'd love having Noel Rogers on next week, but we really dive deep on some really interesting stuff about those band members at that age uh, and the music they went on to achieve and just their talent that they could see at that younger age. So we hope you will like this one. to the podcast boys this is a lovely surprise this only happened yesterday that i had uh, the pleasure of meeting you both on the phone um, but it's lovely to see you in person so we've got scott and sean from vox neon very special because sean used to go to school with some of in excess and mainly john farris andrew and michael is that true that's true yes wow so what year was this the mid seventies, actually, almost fifty years ago, from about nineteen seventy-five to nineteen seventy-eight, maybe. And this was at uh, Davidson High in French's Forest on the Northern Beaches. Yeah. So, was you at primary school as well, or just high school with guys? No, just high school. I came out over with my family from New Zealand in late nineteen seventy-four, settled in French's Forest, and started at Davidson High and the. Uh, you know, January of 75. Your first impression of John Farris. Lovely guy. I mean, I met him pretty early on when I started at the school. He was just this outgoing, confident character, uh, always joking around, always with a, a huge smile, very easy to get along with. And we really just hit it off because of our mutual love of drumming. So he was drumming, obviously, back then, wasn't he? Because what yeah. was that? Hey, did he right. been since he was? Well, yeah, he'd be uh, 14 back then in 75, I think, turning 14 that year. Yeah. And, you know, literally yeah. within two years was 16 playing, you know, gigs with the band in a more official sense. Yeah, yeah, look, we, um, I, I, it was great for me. I'd been playing for a couple of years and so had he and uh, we just connected. I mean, you know, the school itself was quite amazing, Davidson High. I don't know if you guys have sort of, heard much about what it was like there. It was this tiny school. It only been open for about four years. There was probably only a few hundred uh, kids there, but there was just some, an amazing concentration of, you know, young teenage musos that were really hungry and really keen to form bands and play music. It's, it, I don't know whether that was happening in other parts of Sydney, but it was it was a real sort of, you know, crucible of 
creativity. So it was perfect for me, um, you know, being a drummer and my, my older brother, who was a, a bit of a singer as well. So he hooked in with, he was the same age as, as Andrew and Michael. So he, he fitted in really well there as well. Now, at this point, we should welcome uh, Scott Hamlet aboard to the podcast. Hello, Scott. Hello, hello. Thank you. I'm going to make a, uh, a certain assumption. You might be slightly younger than having uh, not gone to Davidson High at that particular year. Is that fair to say? Oh, uh, you know what? I'm not far behind Sean. Um, we're not that far away in, in age. So, you know, I was in high school the year the swing came out. So you can yes. do the math on that. Yeah. Now, you obviously play uh, with uh, Sean currently, and the, the pleasures that we get to see on this podcast is we often get to see people's record collections. So over your vomiting and shoulder as we talk, uh, we can yes, see yes. Hey, the swing, we can see kick, listen like thieves, or we can see, I think, a 12-inch version of Original Sin. I think we can see a uh, maybe a new sensation or a devil inside, maybe 12-inch. Yes, yes, correct. So you're doing quite well. There's yeah. Maybe a couple of tricky ones in there. Probably probably the reverse side there. Is that a new sensation? Station, uh, one on the left, the girls standing up with the next that is, to the That's correct, yes. Okay, okay. you got Max Q there. Uh, Max Q, yes, yeah. And um, th there's one, actually, there's one other one over up, right over on the very far, well, to the to my uh, right, which uh, maybe, you, maybe you can't quite see, but it's the pretty oh, pink soundtrack, which has got a right an in excess track on it that I don't think they released on anything else. So, so for our listeners, just before we sort of started recording, you know, chatting to Scott and uh, Scott's, um, I guess, played a lot of cover bands and I guess bands with Sean and just recently, I guess, put together an electronic type sort of uh, uh, dance thing inspired by the uh, new romantic movement of the 80s there, Sean, which you probably remember well. I remember well as a, Absolutely. a whippersnapper at high school, the old new romantic. It was a line in the Duran Duran song, wasn't it, that uh, that then got extrapolated. And now the word vox in your, in your band time, there's an Ultravox reference there. Yes, uh, correct. Are we connecting any dots here, guys? No, you're connecting all of them. And I right. think the only thing I'd say is that um, it, it's probably not really my brainchild. I mean, I've been a lifelong fan of that that sort of music and, you know, the synthesizers and the, the imagery. You know, I mean, I remember seeing Ultravox, you know, for the first time, Vienna, when that was broadcast, you know, whoops, yep. 81 or something. Yep. And that kind of, you know, captivated me and I think Sean, John, Nick, the other members of the band, we all, all felt the same way and there was this sort of a, a part of the 80s that was so special and cool in the early 80s. I think it's kind of in danger of being a bit lost because, you know, when people think of the 80s these days and the bands that play 80s music, it's all fluoro and it's all, you know, something quite different and, you know, that was definitely there, right? But that certainly wasn't my 80s. We're very, very passionate about the music that we play. and We do a bit of in excess, but it's a lot more, um, I think it's a lot more interesting and there's a lot more to it. And, I, you know, like I think one of our missions, right, Sean, is to, is to bring this music back to the world and play it again, play it live the way that it was meant to be played, you know, back in the day. So for our shows will hear in excess and psychedelic furs and, Bands like that, I'd like to say. That dancey electronic song I can remember as a kid was Gary Newman's Cars and and then uh, he had, what's the other major song he had? Um, uh, Friends Electric, probably. Yeah, or Friends Electric. And the videos, as a kid, you know, when probably for our listeners in Australia and New Zealand growing up with Countdown, you would see these really cool songs and, you know, you mentioned Ultravox before, but you had a guy like Midge Ewer who was in Ultravox, but he was also in Visage in the same yeah, right. month period. Not long after touring with Thin Lizzy, 
And then he ends up doing, you know, uh, the Christmas song up the Live Aid. I mean, talk about, you know, talent in those days who were really quite capable musicians who could really adapt and uh, were really part of a really great movement, I think, Sean, that you probably still enjoy to this day. A lot of those artists are still, they're all still touring, you know, quite actively and, you know, still got the chops to pull off fabulous shows. So they were clearly you know, competent and capable back then and still are four years later. So it's um, it's great. But for oh, us, I mean, especially Midge. Midge is unbelievable. Especially for Midge. Yeah. Okay, because for a while back, because I'm from England, he was on par with you too for a while back then and he was side by side with um, Bob, you know, doing the live aid as well. But he's still touring. Wow, that's good. Yeah, they all are. I mean, he's still... You know, very capable. I think. I mean, I just it's ironic. I read a bio on him last week saying I think he went on tour with Thin Lizzy to fill in and had to learn the songs the night before in a hotel room in America. And I think Thin Lizzy yeah. liked the fact that he was cool and the girl. He had lots of girls at his shows, and he <laughs> must have, was so unlike a Thin Lizzy session guitar player. Yeah, it didn't make sense. But you know, that era there were some really captivating sounds, and I guess sonically that's something I guess is driving you two guys rather than just the cheesy cover songs that sometimes you have to put out at pubs, you know? It's a bit more of a creative thing for you guys now, I assume? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. But, but we, we sort of – we don't mind a little little bit of cheese. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's – um if you look at what we do, I mean, we go from, you know, probably a, a bit more of the rock sort of end of it. So, obviously, the in excess stuff that we do would be, you know, in that camp. But then we go all the way to the Visage and the Ultravox. I mean, the first song that I I sang when I auditioned for the band was an Ultravox song. So, you know, you totally nailed it. And, you know, the, I guess, Visage, Fade to Grey, what an iconic song that was, you know. Yeah. And we, we do that one. And there's not a lot of bands that I think have got the keys to, to, to do that. You know, a lot of bands, a lot of cover bands are guitar, heavily guitar-based. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. I love that, right? But, you know... You need the right tools to get the job done. And we got two stellar keyboard players with a ton of vintage keyboards. So, you know, we're able to bring all of that firepower to the stage and it's it's quite a different experience. Can I ask you a question about the keyboards? Um, it's funny, music goes through eras and stages and changes and stuff like that. And I think of a, of a song like In Excess as Send a Message with the Keys that, that really sound dated. Like it's probably a, a technique that was very symptomatic of those times. Having said all that, you hear some other songs sort of like uh, Kiss the Dirt with the intro of the keys and, you know, just jumping ahead, there was a great movie out about eight or nine years ago called Drive with Ryan Gosling and there's this really fantastic keys in it. You're sort of saying they're making a bit of a comeback, but I think, you know, there's different ways that keyboards can be played that really do emotionally, I think, connect with an audience versus being a bit tacky and stuff like that. And I think, say, Visage, song like Fade to Grey, those keys are quite haunting, aren't they? And I know this question's jumping around a bit, but if you know what I'm saying, keys played the right way can really resonate with the listener. Yes, yes. And I and I think, you know, if I think of, you know, what attracted me to the early In Excess albums, and I'm thinking of Shabu Shabar or even The Swing, you know, you mentioned that. I mean, there's some great keys on that. I mean, I think Shabu Shabar in particular has got some amazing, I think it's Pro 5. It, it, uh, there's, I think there's possibly a Roland... SH5 on there too, um, yep. just judging on well, a couple of the video clips I've seen, but heaps of Pro 5. And I mean, the Sequential Circuits Pro 5 was soundtrack of the 80s kind of stuff. But even later on, when I'm listening to say like the Max Q uh, things, there's, I'm pretty sure there's DX7 in there. And I mean, look, I, I love all of it, mate. Like to me, none of it's cheesy. I mean, it's how you play it, right? You know, 
you look at an artist like Beck, he'll take a toy piano from a junk shop and make an absolutely banging track out of it. And a lot of musos will do that. Well, I think um, In Excess is Beautiful Girls played on a little sort of kid's toy piano. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, to, to start with. And you're right, they, they can evoke a lot of different sounds. Sean, you probably remember back in the day, I think it might have been Ivor Davis and Icehouse got one of the first Fairlight, um, I think, um, yes. the sizes. And that was quite a revolutionary thing. I think he might have paid down 30000 so in those days. Yeah. Um, yeah. They weren't cheap. Think about the Fairlight back in those days and sort of how it evolved since, Sean. I'm not a techie guy when it comes to the uh, the nature of the keys. How did you see sort of keyboards operating through the 80s and, and now sort of coming back in their way? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was a real uh, shift, I think, mentally. And that sort of, I guess it really came from Europe uh, originally, Germany, um, but then shifted into the UK who embraced it. And, and the whole genre became something called, you know, commonly referred to as synth Britannia in those early 80s period where, you know, it was just hit after hit that was just coming out of that, that field. And I guess, you know, synthesizers just became cheap and accessible and it was the new thing. So um, a lot of acts that were traditionally guitar-based just parked the guitars for a while and embraced this new technology like we would yeah. expect, you know, young kids to do. You got a band like Van Halen, what you just were mentioning there. They they did it on Jump, didn't they? Almost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, think of a song yeah. like that. Like that yeah. really haunted some fans to this day. But I'm sorry to cut in on you, but I thought it was just a good example of a big yeah. band shelving oh. major guitars for keyboard yeah. solos. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. There was a long, long history of that in the US with bands like ELO too, right? You know, they were a lot of, lot of the pro rock guys. You know, they were into that. I mean, obviously Pink Floyd had like tremendous keyboards. So, uh, but I think what happened in the early 80s was this kind of post-punk do-it-yourself kind of mentality where there's a lot of people who weren't classically trained musos. Hmm. They get a Casio key, like a little Casio and put that through a bunch of effects and make, you know, Enola Gay, which is, you know, probably OMD's, one of OMD's most famous, you know, dance hits. We play that. was played on a little tiny $100 Casio keyboard. That's all they could afford. And, uh, you know, that thing sounds epic, uh, but it was very DIY. And I think there's something um, really creative and raw about a lot of the sounds from that era that somewhere later in the 80s, it kind of got a bit lost, right? After about 85, 86, it started to all start to sound the same and it was all commercialised and yeah. I think something yeah. just kind of went off the rails. And yeah. so, well, you know, we, we kind of like focus on 79 to 85, you know, in that little sweet spot. Well, the, probably the, the, the suits uh, discovered it and then, you know, like a lot of things, a bit like grunge and any yeah. movement, once yeah. the suits sort of find it and try to monetize it, it loses its uh, maybe its um, you know its creative. Uh, uh, One thing to Yazoo as well. Do you remember them? I mean, oh, that was yeah. just her singing. And what was his name? Vince Clark. Vince Clark. Yeah, I mean, he was yeah. from Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. Yeah. Depeche Mode. Yeah, he stepped yeah. over from there, didn't he? And Depeche Mode were quite heavily based with their synths as well. Did they had two? Didn't they at some point? Oh, they've probably had they probably had a, a, a thousands. They, those guys, you know, and fair lights and all kinds of other sampling since they and then Human League as well, yeah. being big. Who are of course uh, touring Australia next year? Yes, you know. So it's interesting you mentioned all those because they're all they're all artists that we cover. They're all part of our repertoire, and you you know you're right on spot on right on the money there because you know a lot of the songs that those guys released 
ended up as number one hits. So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of precious memories held by by people, and it's very hard to hear that music now. I mean, there's a there's a few DJ nights spinning the the twelve inch discs, um, which is great, but it's not quite the same as as um, you know hearing it live. You know, it's a, it's a very different experience. So. I was going to ask you, Sean. Um, yeah, there's sort of a, a democracy, isn't there? Being able to sort of you know back in those early '80s, get your own little machine and start creating in your bedroom a bit. Which is a bit yeah. similar now to computers. You know, you're seeing bands like Bon Iver who probably just, as I said, you know, created all on a computer um, yeah. and then translated into, you know, the studio settings. But there is parallels between the 80s and, and sort of other technologies now in some respects. Well, I think it's a bit like what Scott was saying. It's that whole DIY thing. You know, you went through, I guess, in the 70s, if you wanted to create music and release it, you, you know, you had to you had to get studio time and spend for, you know, a fortune and get signed, and then suddenly you, you could just create music out of nothing. The whole punk thing was part of that, um, and we sort of yeah, we've certainly shifted back into that space now, where where it's just incredibly cheap and the the power that some of those uh, software applications can provide just just make it. So easy for people, but you know, at the end of the day, you still you still got to have that creative talent. You still got to be able to produce something which is a bit new and unique to sort of capture the the zeitgeist, really. So those problems still exist. You know, it's just that you've got you know the tools are much better, I suppose, and much easier to use than they were back in the day. Another band that were quite successful um, in the early days, particularly in Australia, where they had the first hits with Simple Minds. You know, they had that I mean, it's like a love song, you know, broke them here. And had that Euro sort of dance thing going that, um, you know, like in excess, they evolved a bit more of a guitar sound later on. But do you play any of their stuff live at all? We play a lot of their stuff. Yeah. And in fact, we're, next year we will be doing a, a series of shows that feature Simple Minds songs. We'll probably do four or five. Yep. Simple Minds songs, but we definitely we do a couple at the moment, and they're very well received. One of the guys in, the, in our band, John, is is from the UK, and and is you know got very fond connections. The wife's got very fond connections with Simple Minds, so yeah, we love them. They're back out again next year as well. Um, sold out shows. It'd be great to see them again. Tying it back into the NXS sort of stuff there. Tell us a bit about sure. the bands and just, uh, you know, through knowing, the, you know, the guys at school, tell us a bit about the history there and how your relationship built and started to grow from there. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, the main connection for me was John and we were really good mates. One of the things we used to do quite regularly is, uh, you know, I set up a bit of a a bit of a drum dungeon in my family home and after school we'd, we'd head back there and, you know, spend a, a few hours just banging out rhythms. You know, I had a percussion set up because back at that stage, every band seemed to have a drummer and a percussion guy, so like Santana. So we used to spend hours just, you know, just making noise. 
I've even got some old cassette recordings, TDK cassette recordings that we made from back then. I have to dig those out and have another listen now. So it was great. And then we all started in bands. There was a whole lot of bands with young guys there. I, I joined up with, um, you know, when Michael got back from Hong Kong, was in a band with Michael and Andrew and uh, Gary called The Keep, uh, which was a real, you know, classic 70s frog rock experiment. But Andrew, even back then, he was a real innovator. You know, a guy that was was pretty cutting edge for the time. He was a guy that was always trying to trying to sort of push the envelope and drive a lot of the activity. Um, so he was he was influenced. You know, there's a lot of pretty mild pop rock that was around at the time, but he was he was attracted to stuff like you know Jethro Tull and Yes and Supertramp. Some of the some of the more complex stuff that was out there, and he was he was writing material back then that was that was really great. So we'd have only been 16, 17, but still, you know, an accomplished keyboard player. So we did that for, uh, you know, for, I don't know, six months or so, and then things changed. But you were two drummers, so how did that work? Well, Johnny wasn't in that one. He wasn't in that, but he was was in another band. Uh, It was more of a church-based one called Fish with a few other guys, Um, and one of those guys ended up playing with Randall Waller in a band called Avion. Um, which did, you know, reasonably well. So, as I said, there was always three or four active bands happening and everybody just switched between the other <laughs> every six months to get a bit of creative freshness. But Andrew was was very much at the centre, I think, in driving, you know, motivating a lot of that. Um, so it was no major surprise that he ended up where he ended up. And what did uh, you notice about Michael? I guess, I guess he was singing in the keep at that particular point. Yeah, he was. It was it was really interesting because you know when I first arrived at Davidson, Michael wasn't there. He was overseas, obviously, with his mum. And and then when he emerged back on the scene, which I'm guessing is probably about '76, maybe he got back here. Uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a muso, but he was he was a real wordsmith even back then. Um, and he just connected into the group with that, that were all musos, and obviously. You know, bonded pretty heavily with Andrew. They were pretty inseparable, but he, he was pretty unassuming. You know, nothing like the character you see that you, you know you saw in the yeah. later years. He was a quiet guy, um, a bit broody, um, shy, but you know, he had the greatest smile. He just used to; it was infectious. You know, whenever he he would light up a room, basically. Um, yet he, he, you know, he sort of. He sort of just eased his way back into the group and he was always there, but he was never a standout. That was my impression anyway. But that's why it was so surprising to see him, you know, when they came back to Sydney. I think I saw them in 81 down at the Royal Handler. I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. This guy just owned the stage and it was like, what happened to little shy Michael? (laughs) Where's that guy gone? That was my sort of impression. Yeah, and one of the things which we uh, we were very 
uh, grateful, you know, having you come on our podcast. We weren't there, so we try to be a little bit of a, a sort of a uh, a fly on the wall type of thing, going back to a place in time. And and thank you yeah. yourself. I mean, you must have, in some respects, seen this career growth and go, wow! Like I saw them then, and then now I've seen them at that level climb. I guess the band themselves, you know, were quite committed to touring, committed committing to doing the work, which you probably understand through the music industry. So back then, you just had to do the work, didn't you? Plus the talent. You did. Thanks too much, though, Hayden. I think that's still no. true, mate. You know, I, I saw um, the Damned about three months ago, and still going. <laughs> They're still going. The, the name escapes me. The guitarist, the funny guy in there. Um, Hello. Captain Sensible, yeah, who, you know. But Captain Sensible did go on a a rant about how I've never seen Ed Sheeran carry his his guitar up the stairs or his amps. (laughs) But um, you're right. Look, work ethic-wise, I guess it is the same now. But um, I guess you must have been proud seeing them come from the burbs and then sort of climbing the ascent. Something gave you some particular joy seeing that, you know. And every time I um, I bumped into them, I guess – as they were, you know, growing in notoriety, they were just the same guys. You know, they weren't they weren't heavily affected by by their fame, which was just great. You know, I bumped into to Gary and and Michael at a models concert at the Tivoli, which I think is now um, the Metro in Sydney. I don't know when that was. That was probably nineteen eighty five or eighty six or something. And you know, they were just great. They were so happy to see us and really loved that. Yeah, there was certainly in our area. I mean, even my, you know, my parents who were dead against us being in bands, they wanted us to be out playing footy, you know, but they begrudgingly allowed us to do it. And then, of course, you know, as soon as as soon as the, the guys became famous, everybody they could tell they would that, uh, you know, they used to rehearse in our rumpus room and they were very proud of it then. Now, Scott, you are obviously uh, the vocalist of your current band. We had a vocal coach who, not so much we knew, but he did a nine-minute YouTube video about how good a singer Michael was and his range and his vocal phrasing and things. Mm. Tell us some of the songs that you sing when you play with your band and uh, along with uh, Sean that you play and uh, just some of the vocal things that maybe highlight you know, your respect for Michael's sort of abilities. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got great phrasing, as you say, and there's so much character, unmistakable, you know, vocal style. We started doing um, Don't Change, Gee, Sean, when did we start? Maybe three months ago. We're a little bit little bit nervous about that song. I mean, it's somewhat hallowed ground for Sean, obviously, given the history. But also, there's some, some very tricky vocal melodies in that song, particularly on the outro. You know, it's a staple of a lot of cover bands. And... Often when I go to see bands do that, I'm kind of clenching a little bit as we get towards the end of uh, Don't Change because <laughs> I'm waiting for them to hit that, you know, that that note or those, those three notes in particular. Oh, gee, I know when we first started playing it, I was really anxious about that. And uh, the first few rehearsals, I got, I got nowhere near it and it, and it was really quite cringe, cringeworthy. But, you know, I guess uh, with a lot of um, practice and things, you know, we, we get there and, you know, our policy is that we won't play anything that we don't think we can play well. So, yeah, we can do it. And I, look, I love it. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of comparisons people make to the Rolling Stones and whatever, I think, vocally. 
you know, I challenge any any vocalist to try to sing. Um, is it good times with the oh, duet he does with Barnsley? Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, there you go. I mean, that is that is an absolute stretch. So, a lot of those those songs are quite um, difficult to sing. But then, if you look at you know just the amount of emotional content that goes into all the other stuff, there's so many dramatic pieces, and I think you know clearly 80s music because there's that emotional content that comes through that I think is lacking a lot in a lot of music these days. Well, I think I think back then you couldn't really cheat. There was no auto-tune and there was no, you know, tricks to fix things up like there are now. And yeah. even to Michael's chagrin, he struggled with Don't Change Alive in the first five years of his career. Like I've got some recordings where he struggles on that outro and Kirk – yeah, obviously you see that. that a lot on the album version. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. But you know, and a lot of singers' voices don't break till they're 27, 28 properly. Anyway, I look at a, a guy like Mike Patton, who's got a great vocal sort of range, but his early stuff with Faith No More, you could hear the um the hormones, you know, in those early days, and then you could hear the, some of the latter stuff. His range really improved over time. And I think Don't Change is, is probably you're right, it's a tough one to to nail, isn't it? That is tough, but you know, like we're rehearsing six hours a week. And so, you know, we we spend the time, you know, drilling the songs. And, you know, there's plenty of songs which are just as big. It's just a question of getting your head around it. I mean, we do Small Town Boy by Brunsky Beat, right? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, I, I was dead against that when we, we had our band meeting and we're talking about what songs to do. And somebody's <laughs> like, Scotty, we really want to do Brunsky Beat. We want to do – and I'm like, are you crazy? Like, we we. <laughs> We cannot ever do that. Don't in the mo- in the mining in the rough and tumble mining towns, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know what? It's it's gone on to become one of my favourites live. I mean, we transpose it a little bit just to make it humanly, you know, possible. Because Andy uh, Somerville's got a great voice when you think back to uh, that angelic, no, angelic, yeah. and he can still he can still sing it too. Like yeah. if you dig around online, you'll find him singing, yep. you know, standing next to a piano and just belting it out, and yep. he, he still sounds as good as he did back then. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, getting back to Michael, I mean. His his vocals are just embedded in my subconscious from from 1982 <laughs> all the way through high school. Uh, there's a, every one of those songs I could I could sing them word for word. Yeah, love it. Check me a photo last night of him. How old was you? Fourteen? Oh no, no, I would have been a bit older in that photo. I guess I must have been seventeen or eighteen. Seventeen, posing with his in excess posters behind him. I heard of that. Yes, yes, I. Uh, I post it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Well, you know what? It, it's a, I love that photo because I remember I had this sweetheart in Adelaide and. Uh, and I had to get my little sister to take a photo of me to send to her. I was we were again for that. And uh, so I tried to get a photo of me looking all, you know, sexy and 17. And- <laughs> <laughs> the drums there I mean John's gone on to be quite you know an iconic drummer everything he's done through the band and 
even as a songwriter, you know, he really evolved over time. Um, yep. Tell us about your knowledge of drums and then maybe how you've seen John evolve with drums just to some of our listeners who love the sounds but maybe don't know the technique or appreciate the technique or craft as well as probably you do. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's 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 an interesting one because my experience is that, you know, drumming's not something you can kind of really learn if you haven't got rhythm to start with, really. Um, and once you've got rhythm and with a bit of rehearsal and a bit of guidance, you can kind of pick up most most things. You know, what was great through the 80s is there was a lot of innovation, a lot of new bits of kit that were coming out, you know, like Rototoms and, you know, the Timberbales, a whole big range of things that became popular at the time. And I, I watched John, you know, use all of that and obviously shifting through into, into trivias and some of the electronic stuff. Um, I, I think, to be honest, he's he's used he's used everything. And, and actually, you know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff I guess when Andrew is writing, he's creating a lot of the drum the drum tracks underneath because um, he's got the full vision in his in his mind. And mm. and and John's role is really just to augment and fill things in. You kind of see that in quite a few tracks, the drum tracks underneath because um, he's got the full vision in his in his mind and mm. and and John's role is really just to augment and fill things in you kind of see that in quite a few tracks it, you just see these absolute freaks that are out there that are just you know doing things that were you know unheard of back in the day so um yeah what, what what songs do you feel like John's signature sort of drum moves you know really strike you in the forefront as a I mean you probably listen and connect with drums anyway because that's one of your instruments when you hear a song but what songs of in excess do you think really are quite drum, drum centric and you can feel John's signature on them oh, that's a really good point and I'm, I, I don't know that anything just immediately comes to mind I mean even things like Never Tear Us Apart I mean there's a couple of absolute classic breaks in that before the sax comes in there's just this beautiful little snare tap that's classic John, really. You know, he just he just surprises you with things, and there's lots of songs where his his use of his kick pedal is really is really amazing as well. Especially because you know back back then there was no sort of double kicking; you had to do it all with one with one foot. But he managed just to kind of follow and do really well. I haven't got a sort of a canon of tracks that I can call on and go, oh, "That was really fabulous." Um, it's interesting what you say because, I mean, we all associate the drums as a kid, a bit like Animal from the Muppets, just go as heavy as you can, yeah, as fast yeah. as you can. <laughs> yeah. But you're really explaining some quite subtle moves and, uh, you know, feel as it John has. It's very nuanced, you know, to be able to just keep a solid beat, but then every now and then there's just some, you know, big surprise that you wouldn't expect. That's the sort of stuff that, that I really like about the way John plays. You know, as opposed to a lot of other guys that just they either want to they either want to dominate and, and be the only guy in the room, or uh, or they just sit too far back and you don't even you don't even know that they're there. So I think John's got the balance really well. Scott, I feel like you're the swing fan. We're talking about keys and drums today. A song like Melting in the Sun's quite an amalgam of keys and drums at the same time. Do you like that one, Scotty? That's one of my favourites from that album, but it's hard 
hard to pick. I mean, for beautiful textured synths, I think Johnson's Aeroplane's probably yeah my, my favorite. You know, I I just adore that song. Um, that Great drumming in that too. Takes takes me right back. You know, there's so many. I mean, I, I when I when I think about the percussion in 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 excess, and look, you know, Sean knows that I'm no drummer, but I appreciate all of the the sampled stuff that they put in because they, it's not just a straight kit that they use, right? I mean, it's augmented with so many other just signature sounds and on an album like yeah. The Swing, there's a lot of that. I don't know. I, I, I love the way that, that the palette, the way that it's never dull. There's always an interesting little change in the rhythm which adds so much to it. My very last question is, because I'm going to let B take over, can't help myself. In the first 50 episodes, we did an episode on Kirk, one on on John, one on uh, Michael, one on Andrew. But what we tried to do for our listeners is isolate their contributions to certain songs. And as a listener, now go back and revisit those songs with certain hallmark signature moves of that band member. So, for example, it could have been Kirk's saxophone on certain things, could have been Tim's lead guitars on certain things, John's uh, drum stuff, et cetera, there. And... How you described that just before remind me of those episodes, Scott, where we had a lot of listeners go back and reappreciate each band member a bit more because they were isolating in their head. Even myself, you don't really know who's playing what or, you know, sometimes a song when you first hear it as a 14-year-old, you just, like, it sounds cool. Yeah, it you just know, sounds cool, right? <laughs> hear Gary's bass when you isolate, oh, that's all Gary. Ah, now I know how good Gary is. Yeah. You know, so... You know, for, for musicians like yourself, you have that benefit probably as being ex- expert in your craft to also appreciate when you hear their individual contributions to delineate between who's doing what. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice to it's nice to unpick them too. You know, one of the things that we do, we're quite meticulous about trying to replicate the original sounds as much as we can, right? We don't have all the same original kit. But, you know, as a as a band we'll we'll spend days and days arguing over one particular synth patch, right? And tweaking it, you know, <laughs> it's ridiculous, right, Sean? Um we love yeah. it. And, that, and and we want it we want it to we want it to be right. So, you know, like I, I, I think, you know, there's something in that. And I you know, when I think about Andrew Farris's contribution and all those amazing little synth um counter melodies and things that go through all of the songs. They're the little bits I, I tune into when I'm listening to that music. Which brings me on to it. another reason why we've got you on here because you need a little bit of help, don't you, with, uh, with your band? You need a producer. And we know if you are there, you can do your pitch. Who wants you to are. Yeah, well, um, uh, Sean, I, I don't know, would you like to maybe open discussions here or... No, you can you can take take it away. What yeah, well, sure. well, you know, twenty twenty four is going to be a big year for us. I mean, we've had, um, I guess we we started in twenty nineteen. You know, we've got to the point now where we're um, heading off uh, interstate in the new year. We're going to Queensland, down to Melbourne, Adelaide. We'll be basically uh, touring nationally, and it's really time for us to get something recorded. We want to be able to put something down that's really true to that, the 80s ethos, the sound, uh, potentially even some of the, you know, that signature equipment that was used in the in recording studios back in the day. So we're really in the market for, for a producer to, to help us with that. Um, so, you know, I don't know you, I know that there's a lot of people that love your program and there might be people out there that 
that are interested in that. We're also hiring a roadie. So uh, <laughs> if we can't find a producer, we might find a roadie. And if we get both, then we'll be very happy. Are you going to tour in Melbourne? Yes, we are. Okay, cool. Well, no music hall. All right. Well, I'll, I'll carry you. I'll, I'll help carry some stuff if you like. <laughs> just, well, you'll be a VIP, Hayden. You have, to carry, the door. you have to carry is like an ice cold drink to the stage. That's oh. all you'll do. Well, hey, uh, Noel Gallagher used to be a roadie. You know that? Is that right? He used to be a roadie for the spiral carpets, B. Oh, oh, I never Is that him? Well, you doing much these days? You want to give him a call? <laughs> yeah, I think they're here at the moment, aren't they? They're with the Happy Mondays in Spiral Carpet in They were at the weekend. They might be. Yeah, it might but, be. Uh, I don't think I don't think Noel's uh, would, would be welcome to having a. Uh, no, no. I wonder if you had a temper back then. <laughs> yeah, fun. well, I, I played Liam for most of the fights. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I absolutely adore this band anyway. I've only seen them once and we'd had the best time. We were dancing within seconds. And, yeah, James, James, my husband, never comes to live music. And he said, oh, okay, I'll go because it's Scott. And he said, this was an amazing, amazing uh-huh. day out. So, Thanks, yeah, Bridget. I can't wait to yeah. see again. Um, I'll definitely come down to Sydney and see you properly there as well. How many songs do you play uh, in your set list uh, on a given night generally? Oh, we usually do 30 songs a show. Oh, 30 so plus, two, yeah. Two one-hour sets plus an encore. And it's a, a pretty good spread of tunes, you know, from Gary Newman to Eurythmics. Uh, you yeah. know, I mentioned Psychedelic Thurs earlier. Obviously, In Excess, Real Life, if you remember. New Order. New Order. Sick for Mind, Sudowaco. You know, it's all the 80s, but none of the cheese. yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's excellent. And uh, what uh, we won't give away any sort of secrets. But what have you opened up the the show with generally to get the the crowd going? Oh, gee, well, this is uh, this Saturday's show up in Avalon at the RSL. We're opening with the model, Craftwork, okay. which is yeah. a seminal band that really started yeah. this whole you know electronic new wave movement. You know that yeah. was when Craftwork came to London. That kicked off a whole the whole synth Britannia thing yeah so yeah we're starting with the model but we other times we've started with love my way which is yeah. you know a crowd favorite uh yeah. by the psychedelic first or mad world from tears for yeah. Fears. usually something a little bit gentle just to kind of ease ourselves into it. then we finish on some absolute thumping bangers so you know we won't keep that secret away but uh no yeah no i mean it's it's great i think um the synth speaks for itself it was such an iconic sort of instrument that was used at the time and you know, some of those bands now that are still touring and having a career now, even people like Brian Eno are producing now, oh, uh, Roxy Music, you know, yeah. all these bands in the early days that sort of set up the pathway in the early 70s that then sort of got taken over by, you know, that new romantic movement. And, you know, music comes in sort of cycles. Everyone loves to recategorize things. But, you know, whether you call it dance music or whether you call it electronic music, a lot of the art is very, very similar. And some of the iconic bands are... You know, these days are, are still you know relevant, and you still hear their material. You know, mm-hmm. like a yeah, quality, do. Yeah. quality well, song is a quality well, song. Watch anything, watch anything on Netflix these days, Hayden, and you know you'll hear you know Depeche Mode. I mean, uh, uh, my daughter was watching uh, The Last of Us. Yes, and and like every episode finished with a Depeche Mode song. You know, I mean, it's amazing. So I think a lot of the young folks these days are getting exposed to it without knowing it. 
Hmm. And, um, you know, when we look at our following, you know, a lot of people are Gen X like us, right? But, you know, 30% of our followers are 25 to 35. So there's a real interest these days um, in the 80s, a fascination with it. You saw, you saw what happened with, you know, Kate Bush running up that hill. Oh, um, yeah. You know, recharting again. I think it was yeah. on straight things. things or something like that. But, you know, that's heavy key, synthy sort of sound at that oh, time. And, fair uh, too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And just, it was produced by Nick Norda. Yeah. Friend of the Friend of the Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Now to Nick. Yeah, the, the amount of soundscapes I guess you can get out of that particular instrument are really endless, aren't they, you know? An inventor, just up the road, electronic data processing company, yeah. they used to make word processors and they decided they were going to convert their computer into a sampler and next thing you know, Michael Jackson and Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel and, and Ivor Davies from Ice House famously, yeah. you know, they were all using the Fairlight Pet Shop Boys. I saw, yeah. I saw, saw Pet Shop Boys were selling or an instrument that was owned by the Pet Shop Boys, a Fairlight, was being sold just recently for like, was it $80,000, Sean? Somebody was selling it. Yeah, I think oh, so. Outrageous. Crazy money. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, guys. I mean, obviously, as I said, you know, we, we're very fortunate that people have an eyewitness account to our favourite band at the time, but also, too, that we've often said In Excess aren't touring now, but anyone who can still be playing and broadcasting their music in a cover sense, live sense, or in any sense is is, is valuable. And I know, I do know the band themselves really appreciate it. You know, they love the fact that their material is still played by anybody out there who is in a live setting, whether it's a smaller band, a medium band, or a Springsteen who covers them when he comes out and tours. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they, you know, you'd have to feel proud of, you know, knowing that your songs have a life to them. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a real legacy. Yeah, that's right. And I guess all of our kids, we're all parents here by the sounds of it, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're, all, we're all brainwashing our kids, aren't we, uh, uh, B? I think all- Absolutely. That's our job. <laughs> yeah. To create that Heritage Legacy Act thing that's going. I mean, you know, we've got yeah. three-year-olds going to ACDC concerts, so that's, they're not finding yeah. out on the radio. They, they, their parents are spoon-feeding them that. Actually, how old's your daughter? Six. You were teaching your daughter to play keyboards at the age of six. Is that right, Scott? Oh, yeah. Well, Indy's a, she's a tremendous musician. She can play and sing so beautifully. She'd break your heart. Mm. So, yeah, but I, I can remember when she was a toddler, you know, I used to put her in the, in the driver's seat in the back of the car and I'd be zipping around town listening to 80s music. And she learned a couple of really – alternative early 80s songs like word for word and she used to just all of a sudden start singing them at the strangest time and it was a Ber- it was a berlin song and i won't tell you which one right but um you remember berlin they just do it recently and they were a fab i love that band but she used to she'd sing I don't know if it was dancing in berlin, berlin no no more words it was words? no more what words, words for yeah. No, no, no more words. No more words, she, yeah. She yeah. would sing that and uh, it was hilarious. So she was two. Yeah. So, yeah, she was programmed. She had no choice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure you keep Bon Jovi Nickelback out of her collection. <laughs> no, uh, this is a Nickelback free house, mate. There's, <laughs> won't, won't get in the front door. Plenty of Gary Newman, though. 
What's your favourite in excess song? Yeah. Oh, are you asking me? Yeah, both of you. Yeah. Vincent Johnson's Aeroplane. But I'm going to say to look at you. I yep. love that from Shabu Shabu. Yeah. You know, um, but Johnson's Aeroplane, gorgeous song. But to look at you, it's got an amazing sort of synth palette as well. So, and it's a lot more analog. It's a lot of Pro Five on that, I think, which is my favourite synth of all time. So you know, you play that um, live? Not yet. No, no, it's certainly on the list. It's on the list. Okay. Mm. What about yourself, Sean? What, uh, look, probably for me, don't have to go with Ryan John's songs. Either Mystify or Disappear. Really, both great songs. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time again. It was wonderful. Pleasure. This is like like Hayden says. Who are these? I had to give him a feel. <laughs> and I said, you please come on. And I, I've made it. Fantastic. Thank you. No, I mean, Thank you, guys. Beast just, Beast brief sometimes is, you've got these guys in there who used to know in excess at high school. Um, interview them. <laughs> no, like, okay. You're five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you've, uh, but what we should say to our listeners, you've got to, probably got a website with all your gigs and everything listed we out. Do. If there's anything we can do to help promote that or put links on our website, we'll do that. Um, We'd love great. to do that. Yeah. So, that. you mentioned Avalon, Avalon Beach. Are uh, we talking uh, New South Wales, Avalon Beach? Uh, yes. Yeah, Avalon, yeah. Avalon Beach RSL Club. Uh, that's on the 28th of October. So, that's this coming Saturday. Yeah. We'll, we'll promote that on our platform. And things like that, and uh, well, I better I better hit those three notes. You bet. Pressure's on now. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a goodbye, and uh, yeah, see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Aiden. Terrific. Thank you, Thanks, Bye. Bridget. Bye, guys. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Paul Jolly from Sydney, and this is the Big Rat. Wow, that was really cool, wasn't it? I'm so glad we got them on. I would call them sort of the Earth Boys and good musicians. I hope we can find a producer for them, actually. So if there is a producer out there or anybody who knows somebody, it'd be really good to help these guys. I think getting getting out to see them, I can't wait because, uh, you know, they've honestly got a really good set list. I mean, if I go to a pub one more time and hear Brown Eyed Girl or Brown Sugar, not that they're bad songs, but honestly, God, they're the sweet Caroline, for Christ's sake, you know, Going out and hearing something different and hearing great music that, you know, is nostalgic a little bit back in our growing up days is always cool, but they sound like they're really into it. It was great getting their insights just, you know, it was particularly great hearing from Sean, uh, just his insights growing up, you know, with the band and seeing their talent emerge. Just how that, you know, not everybody's going to be a superstar, but just seeing how uh, passion for music was part of a scene and, you know, we, we need more of our schools and more of our colleges these days to really encourage you know, people away from screens and, and get in and pick up an instrument and, and get creative because, uh, you know, we've got to keep music alive, Lee. Absolutely. Yeah, bang on. Really, yeah. really cool. Um, while I'm here, we haven't done this for a while, but if you want to get in touch with the podcast, don't forget you can get in touch with us on all of our different socials, mainly via um, Facebook or our email, which is in excess aaa at gmail.com we love to interact with you we've had some cracking content onto our facebook page and there'll be something new happening there soon so get on there and follow us as soon as you can 
All right, Dave. Well, this brings us to our little time of the uh, podcast where we go off with a little bit of a tribute song. And something a little bit different today, B. October 24 is always uh, particularly, well, was always particularly exciting sort of day in my life, but uh, it's always a little bit of a slightly sad one now because it actually would have been my mother's birthday today. However, I, should, I want to share a really positive anecdote. Um, at her funeral five years ago, this gentleman sort of came along to the funeral and um, and then we went back to the place where we had the wake afterwards and I saw him there and then he came back to the wake and I was thinking he was a partner of one of mum's nurses or something like that. Anyway, on the way in, I just did small talk and said to him, oh, how are you, Hayden? Blah, blah. I said, oh, you know, who are you here with? He goes, oh, no, I knew your mum back in high school. Oh. And I said, oh, you're not Neville, are you? He goes, yeah, I am. Anyway, Neville was mum's first boyfriend. Oh. And Neville runs a real estate agency, ironically, in the same suburb where mum lived in the last few years of her life. And that was a bit of a recluse at the end, so she probably didn't engage that much talking to him. But he, for the last 50 years, has kept my mum's birthday as his pin code, has very fond memories of my mum because uh, her parents grew up in a hotel in the country and he was in the country and they were boyfriend and girlfriend for a couple of years. But when he couldn't always get home from uh, from Kyburn to Shepherd, and they'd let him stay at the hotel at night in a spare room, of course, okay? Um, and... One night, his friends, he was supposed to be out with them, were out partying around, but he stayed at the hotel and they had a car accident and they all died. (gasps) And he looks at his life in many cases of what could have happened if he was with them that night. My my grandmother and grandfather looked after him quite a lot and, you know, let him stay over. And when he was, he used to work in the bank locally, he was 18 or 17 and, you know, my mum and him dated and things like that. But um, he, in the last five years, he takes me out for lunch every October 24th. So we've been for lunch today. Yeah, I just want to do a little bit of a thank you to Neville for being great and a bit of a mum, we're thinking of you today. From a tribute song point of view, uh, she died a little bit too young. 73 is not enough time. So I thought we'd go out today, B, with uh, not enough time from uh, NXS. Whatever version or you want to go with, B, I'll leave it to you. Maybe we'll put one of the dance versions on or one of the basic versions. But love your mum and uh, I don't want it to be sad today. I want it to be positive. And thank you, Neville, for being uh, still in my life and telling yes. my memories every year on October 24th. So what a good thank you yeah. yeah, that's a lovely story, Hayden. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, no worries. That's so personal, from- but <laughs> it's a yes, go on. Goodbye from me. And-, and it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye, everybody.
And you've been listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B.